the first workshop I ever taught at Good mm-hmm. Vibes was called Rough Sex 101. Cool. Uh, <laughs> colon, thank you very much. Uh, and see, that's the best part about doing work in sex education. The, like, titles of things and the puns. It's just and the, puns. And the, sub, the subheadings of shit. Love it. Sex ed is just... <laughs> Whatever people are like, what, what does a certified sex educator entail? And I pretty much just say, I know more dick jokes than you. Um, That's fair. And, and I, get, I get paid to make them, so... Yes. There we that, go. There are lots of times when I'm doing talks with students where I'm just like, reminder, this is my job. I'm getting paid to do this. <laughs> it's amazing. And I think uh, often I'll, I'll do more work than is required of me because it just kind of feels like you have to yeah. keep going. Like yeah. The conversation can't stop. But... I don't understand why anybody makes the bets. Wasting effort on a mess that'll be a mess again. They say that I should talk to somebody more qualified than you But if I charge you all a buck, then I think this will do And I'd like to believe There's something better waiting there at the end Hello and welcome to the EduPunks Podcast. This is your host, Craig Biderman. I'm bringing you a very fun conversation this week, so y'all better get ready to learn this week. I am chatting with my friend, Aria Carpenter, who is a sex educator and a trans human being who does amazing work in this field. As some of you know, I am also a sexual health educator, so this was a nice opportunity for us to talk about something we both have in common, but we also both have really different perspectives on this field and on this topic. So just want to give a quick buffer. I like to prepare people for what's to come. We talk a lot about sex stuff, so that makes you a little uncomfortable. Good. I hope it does. And I hope you learn some things about a part of our job that is hard for some folks to grasp, listen to, whichever, but it's also like a very meaningful part of our work is bringing this information to folks so that they can understand a little aspect of our society that is very much not discussed, but something that we need to talk about more. Aria is someone that I look up to a great deal in the world because she is just so uh, vibrant and earnest and upfront with the way that she talks about sex, the way she talks about existing, and uh, how to educate folks. And you're going to hear a lot of frank conversation in this episode, and I'm really thankful for it because honestly, I don't get to have this sort of conversation with very many people. So that it was a very refreshing part of Uh, this conversation as well and we got to do it in person uh, and we actually just started talking once we like met up and talked for like the next two hours so you're gonna get a chunk of that conversation today and you'll get a little bit more of it later in the week so look forward to that because we're not going to get through it all just today also i'm going to be sharing you tunes from the new cosmic johnny album i'm going to be sharing you tunes from the new cosmic johnny album good grief 
Cosmic Johnny is a fantastic band here in Boston uh, with the with a few queers in in it, and so I just felt like it was a wonderful connection for today's uh, guest, today's topic, and they are great people making some great music, and you get to hear some of it throughout this episode. Um, I don't really have much else to say except for tell your friends about the podcast. I guess we're so far into the the podcast now that I don't really say too much at the beginning anymore. I think that's fine. Let's uh let's just get to this conversation with Aria. I hope you enjoy. So hard. How can it be so hard? Oh, how can it be so hard to get out of bed and never start? How can it be so hard? So I'm sitting here uh with my friend Aria. How are you, Aria? I'm doing well. Good. I'm glad. So I brought you on the podcast because we're both sex educators. Mm-hmm. And we both come from different perspectives as sex educators. And I would love for you to explain, folks, who you are, what you do, where you come from, and how you've been. Just a little bit. Wonderful. Um, my name's Aria Carpenter. I'm a sex educator. More specifically, uh, I'm a sex educator sales associate, or SESA, which is the title given to uh, certified sex educators uh, who work at Good Vibrations. Um, if you've never been there, it's kind of like a sex positive retailer where you can go in and like shop for dildos, vibrators, lube, Mm -hmm. uh, books, stuff like that, all the resources you'd want. Uh, and then you can also ask like any questions of the employees because we're all trained. Um, and, uh, personally I went to school for, uh, art. Yeah. I, I I graduated (laughs) school as a, what I thought was going to be a, a dedicated printmaker, um, it was a, it was a very dedicated craft and, and, and one would argue that I went from one very meticulous, uh, hands-on sweaty career to another. And <laughs> I, I think that, um, I was very set that I was going to work at good vibes for a little bit, make some money, go to grad school, um, and just, uh, be a professional printmaker for the rest of my life. But, um, I, most of my art was of... Uh, queer and trans bodies of um, intimacy, sex, consent, uh, just what I didn't realize at the time was sex positivity, but really it was. And eventually I got into a very long conversation with one of the employees at Good Vibes before I worked there. And they said, "Eh, you should be paid for this. (laughs) And I I really haven't looked back since. And now I'm uh, I'm teaching workshops. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm visiting schools. I, I was just at pride, mm-hmm. um, dancing around in a trans flag cape and wielding a magic wand over mm-hmm. my head. Um, it was great. And, and, and really it's, it's become a bit of a dream of mine to, um, really use my enthusiasm mm-hmm. for, uh, kind of the beauty of consensual intimacy and things like that. Uh, in a very positive space, in a, in a space that's very welcoming of a variety of identities, but not only welcoming, but, but educated about, yeah. and really just giving people that uh, maybe just even wander in off the street after their lunch break or something, just people that might not otherwise be looking for that conversation about um, sexual pleasure and things like that, uh, to, to bring it to them and to mm-hmm. give them an opportunity to ask questions, uh, even if they're nervous, even if they don't know already the answer to these questions. Um, uh, 
yeah, so mm -hmm. it was definitely a, a detour uh, <laughs> from what I was previously doing, but yeah. in, in a way, it, it, it almost wasn't. In a way, it was almost yeah. going from one uh, art, art form exploring the essence of um, love and sex and pleasure yeah. and, and just going into a new one. What did uh, making art look like for you? How did you get into initially making art and even doing like screen printing stuff? Yeah, what did it look like? It looked like, like giant, <laughs> giant, like 32 by 30 prints Maybe of, a little too of literal, someone being yeah. fingered in front of a room of 60-year-old people going, hmm, uh -huh. okay, yeah. uh, okay, reminds me a bit of Maplethorpe, I <laughs> guess. He was a gay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think that... Uh, Really, uh, I got into art because um, I really loved to really take my time with things. Mm -hmm. I, I like to dedicate myself to pursuits of knowledge and mm -hmm. uh, pursuits of just like physical craft. Yeah. And I, I love the way they looked. Uh, at, at this point, I've been trained in, um, in tally etching, lithography, screen printing, relief printing. Uh, what else? Um, just a variety of different techniques that uh, really, I, I, at one point I almost forgot why I was doing it. Mm -hmm. And I, I was just doing it as this kind of competitive uh, drive to just be the best. Mm -hmm. And I started to realize very quickly that um, especially being a trans woman and, and presenting this very charged, what they would call artwork, um, I started to realize that that kind of competitive um, vibe w w was kind of draining me in yeah. a lot of ways. And it's true that I, I had a lot of really wonderful, um, like, queer mentors along the way that I definitely could have gone to for solidarity. But at the time, I was just kind of really looking for solace among people that wouldn't look at sex, at bodies, at... Um, women with penises and say, oh, well, this is a little bombastic. Don't yeah. you think this is a little, it's a little bit much. And the second, why do you have to go there? Yeah. Why do you have <laughs> to go there and just have the body that you do? Why you gotta be weird about as it? As if but, it's a burden. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, as if I'm doing it to like shock them. I'm like, <laughs> just, this no. is all a performance. This will get them. It's all a performance. <laughs> one, one day I'm just going to be like, this was all a happening. Um, but uh, Gotcha. I really gotcha. You should look at your face right now. <laughs> but um, just, I, I spent like even a month or two at Good Vibes and was instantly just confronted with this. Like, oh my God, I can talk about pleasure and sex and my unique experience as like a trans person, as a pan person, as uh, a person who likes to talk about pleasure and intimacy mm -hmm. and things like that and not be running up against the grain because yeah. that's what I was told I would always do. Every time I would make art in a fine art setting, I would just be told like, you're always going to be grinding people's gears. Like you're always going to be freaking people out. And it's just not the case. Yeah. In a space like Good Vibrations, where I can come at people, even if they're nervous, even if they're shy, even if, yeah, like maybe they're angered by what I'm presenting them with. Um, it's a beautiful opportunity to uh, take all of that kind of 
negativity that I was confronting as an artist and really address it and use my role as an educator to rather than just sitting in a critique and having people just throw this stuff at me, um, instead facing it and saying, you're here with me and if you would like, I'm going to offer you my own perspective. Mm-hmm. I'm going to offer you the express, the um, uh, perspective of the person who taught me, of my coworkers, of all mm-hmm. the books I've read, of all the all this and that. Um, it's a beautiful experience because, like, yeah, you get some rough situations, but all in all, it's really changing people's perspective every day. Yeah, and it's good to have. It feels really good to have my work. And I do think that art has a tremendous role mm-hmm. in uh, promoting these kinds of themes. But at the same time, it's great just working every and knowing that every single interaction I have with somebody, even just me existing yeah. in the same room as them, is changing their perspective even a little bit. And they're going to go out into the world with a different view on things. And I will, I will correct very small misunderstandings. I will uh, debunk very tightly held myths and even just that I believe that people are walking away with a lot of value and they've, they've learned something that will change the way they think about their own body, about Mm -hmm. the bodies of their uh, partners and um, people around them uh, for the rest of their lives. And what I was kind of really struggling and, and working so hard to do every day as an artist, hoping that maybe someday people would look at this portrait of like my body or my partner's bodies of people that like modeled for me as bodies. And, and they wouldn't just think about it as you're trying to shock me. Yeah. And they'd think about it as, you know, maybe I have a belief about like what the feminine form is. Mm -hmm. That's not true. Yeah. Maybe I can expand my viewpoint of bodies of things like that and beauty. Mm -hmm. Uh, instead I just, I, opted to go right to the source and yeah. I haven't looked back since. And I think there the, that's super real because even in like my experience working with my students and whatnot, when you correct like little small things, like even a comment they made in jest, it's not necessarily that you didn't let it go, but it's like, no, I want to actually like make sure you're going about the world with the right information so that if someone else brings it up, you might be willing to like say, no, hey, I I just learned this thing Mm -hmm. and I want to share this thing with you so that they might do the same thing and we can have an educated population around sex and stuff. Like that's all I really want. And not even just educated, but, uh, but, but excited yeah. and enthusiastic. And I think mm-hmm. that people really respond to, like, like people will come into this, uh, the store and they'll, they'll immediately run over to the uh, like rabbit vibrators that, that mm-hmm. twirl and, and thrust yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and like, I, I don't know, like tell you the time and the weather. Yeah, like to it, them it looks like super silly. And, and, and they grab it and they're like, oh my God, like once I get this, I won't even need my yeah. boyfriend anymore. <laughs> and, and I'll look at them and I'll be like, but the cool thing is you can use it with him. Like, like oh my God, <laughs> and we've got other ones over here that like uh, do a different thing that's even better for that. Yeah. Like we've got, you could get a dildo and put a cock ring on it. And, and like all these different um, and just expressing that enthusiasm. Yeah. People go from this state of mind of like, 
oh, I didn't realize and I feel silly now mm-hmm. to like, oh my God, this is a whole new world. Yeah. Like I, I really thought that if I use a sex toy, like I'm replacing my partner and, and I'll like, and, and really it's a beautiful moment to yeah. see like couples coming together and getting out of the shell of kind of fear of being mm-hmm. in a sex toy shop where um, like one person will look at their partner and be like, Oh, you brought us here because you gave up on us, didn't you? Like, oh, yeah. you just I, I can't get I've you off, that. so now you're gonna go to gonna go to orgasm support, last ditch effort, yeah, and yeah. and get a get a magic wand or something like yeah. that. And then, but then when you meet them and say like, did you know that there's all these pleasure spots on the penis that respond really strongly to vibration? Mm-hmm. And like, you could put this here and that could go there and you could both be using this at the same time. Mm-hmm. You could use it on each other. You could use it while you're penetrating your partner and people just get into this headspace of like, wow, I'm, I have been so scared mm-hmm. of my partner feeling pleasure with yep. something that isn't my immediate body. And I think it's interesting because for, okay, and this happens a lot and I'm sure you come across it too. Mm-hmm. A lot of people's perspectives on what is and isn't sex and how sex is supposed to be performed mm-hmm. or whichever is informed by porn. Yeah, and yeah. I'm, I am pro porn. I am pro using it with your partners, whichever. And even mm-hmm. when I explain that, like you can watch porn with your Whomever you're having, you're, you're like during sex, like with, like watch it with each I've other. I've pulled up porn like, to watch with my friends because I feel like in a perform, like an actor's performance is just stellar. Yeah, I just pull it up and I'm like, I can look really at the way this person. Like, I can looks believe at them. these two. I can believe these two. They're into it. It looks like they like. I can see a couple like pairings where I'm like, it actually honestly looks like they have fun when they <laughs> crash <sex>. pad series <laughs> by Pink and <laughs> White Productions. <laughs> It's, and it, but it's one of those things where I've actually recently been seeing over the last like five yeah. or so years, like there are like people bringing sex toys into porn now mm-hmm. and like seeing that, like, so like, uh, 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 a woman being penetrated and she's got like a magic wand just like, yeah. and it's like, it's nothing like, let's see more of that. So that perspective can just be uh, more of a normative thing. Yeah. And, and my coughing fit right there was, yeah, yeah, um, go ahead. it was, uh, <laughs> in, in, if we're talking about the crash pad series of, mm-hmm. uh, porn, uh, made by pink and white productions, pink and wonderful, white. uh, awesome, awesome represent representation, uh, by pink and white productions. Uh, not just in terms of like having queer folks, but also um, trans folks, non-op, post-op, all different bodies, uh, folks with disabilities, physical um, and uh, like mental illness kind of discussion. But uh, you'll see on screen people like putting on gloves to finger yeah. someone. You'll yeah. have people like putting a condom on their strap on. You'll have people talking and verbally saying like, could you do this for me? Like, would That's you like, like to do this for me? That's the biggest thing missing in most porn. <laughs> and, and, it's, and it's incredible. And I think that, um, but unfortunately what you're talking about is true where a lot of people not only get their sex ed from porn, they're getting it from free porn. Mm-hmm. And they're getting it from... Um, Whatever they can find on the internet. Exactly. <laughs> the, the, the most highly promoted mm-hmm. porn sites, which are definitely not going to be these, like, ethical amateur pornographers. Or even anywhere near educational. Exactly. Yeah. And um, it just gets into this uh, thing where, where people are having sex mm-hmm. with... As if there are sections of the scene cut out. 
to make yeah. it more streamlined. Yep. Where like if you look at your average kind of just like hetero kind of standard like pizza guy plumber yeah, porno, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they're definitely using lube. Mm-hmm. It's just off screen. And there, there's a perception as well in a lot of those um, scenes, like films, whichever, um, where there's a belief that men can stay hard that long. Like, yeah. sure, you could realistically do that, but they're also filming these over spans of days. And they, like, can take breaks and they come in for different, like positions and whatnot and they change it out fluffer is a real thing that one of my ex's moms used to be which i think is super funny and and super awesome because like that's actually how i learned what it was and uh, folks are are left out that communication piece they're left out those realistic expectations of sex and the thing is is it's just is what they're doing has been it's been outlined in a script Mm -hmm. so like they don't need to worry about talking through stuff they don't need to worry about discussing it and consenting to it because they probably literally signed consent forms Mm -hmm. before they've done it now that's not to include all the unethical porn that's out there which there's a tremendous amount of it and it's very easy to find and i think that's where like getting education from porn is really dangerous where you do have porn that will depict like illegal incredibly dangerous acts and um, kind of just pass them off as, like, what you've got to do. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll, like, focus in on a lot of really harmful myths and play into them so that it's believable to someone who doesn't necessarily want to think too much about sex. Yes. And I think that definitely pro-porn. And there's a lot of really great porn out there. And I would just say to everyone, buy porn. Mm-hmm. No porn is free. There is no porn in this world that is free. If Mm -hmm. you find free porn, it was at the cost of someone. Yeah. Like, they are losing money. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of uh, sites will, like, use amateur porn, uh, amateur, like, cameras, uh, like, stuff without their consent. Yep. And they'll give it to you for free, but that person who you're watching is out there somewhere not reaping the benefits of yeah. you enjoying their uh, material. And if you want to appreciate uh, a porn star, if you want to appreciate their work, just just pay them. Like yeah. paying for porn, you, you get just generally like a better um, – deal out of it and also like supporting good ethical uh pornographers is is how you get good ethical porn yeah that like then when you have kids and your kids are learning their sex ed from porn they're gonna have good quality stuff hopefully 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 (laughs) i well in one one kind of like or you could just, you know, have the conversation and that's, as, as an ongoing extension of, like, going from talking about uh, consent in just touch and physical touch mm-hmm. and then moving on to, um, like, discussing consent in a, um, like, a more kind of play atmosphere, even just, like, playing on the playground and yeah. then moving into, like okay, sensual touch is a thing that can happen, mm-hmm. and but you need to consent to it. And, like, if it's an ongoing discussion, it doesn't have to be a talk. It mm-hmm. can be many conversations. Exactly. But that's a whole nother Well, and a story. lot of times I get 
dudes that come through my office and they'll say things like, how do I get my girlfriend to do this? And I go, you don't get them to do, you, you don't, you have to have a conversation about mm. what you both want to do. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it's because like you said, things are cut out in porn and it's, they see folks, some, sometimes they see folks go from one position to another without showing how they got there. Yeah. And like showing like all of a sudden, like someone's in like cowgirl and the next they're like flipped upside down or whatever. Like, how do I do that? Like, well, um, one, read a book somewhere. Like Take act- a break, drink some water, eat a sandwich, and then try out that pose. Yes. Like, it's- <laughs> like take a minute to actually figure it out. Don't just – and use communication when you do it. Don't have it in – like your partner can't read your mind. Mm-hmm. They cannot read your mind when you're trying to do something new or change it up a little bit. You need to be expressive about yeah. it and bring that up. And I think a very common uh, person – like type of person that comes into Good Vibrations uh, that is – really a, a great opportunity to uh, approach and have a conversation with uh, just because of the connotations of like uh, what can happen if they do have this conversation following us talking to them is the person who comes in and they say, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for a vibrator for my partner. Usually they're looking to buy a vibrator for their partner with a vagina. And the first question we ask to anyone buying a toy is, so what kind of stimulation are they into? Generally external, generally internal, uh, maybe both at the same time, option to do either or, yeah, yeah. like kind of general categories. And I would say more than 80% of people just say, I don't know. Okay. And when you're an educator, it seems obvious mm-hmm. that you want to know what kind of things your partner likes. Yeah. But for some folks... Like, pleasure is as simple as just, like, you you do the foreplay, you build up by, like, touching the clit, touching the penis, and then uh, it all culminates to this act of penetration that has to be the finale. Yeah. And... Because that's the only finale there. Exactly. Offering this concept of, like, oh, well, do they mostly, like, do you know if they masturbate mostly with, like one finger on their clit? Do they mm-hmm. use their whole hand? Yeah. Do you think that they, they penetrate a little bit with their yeah. fingers? Do they yeah. use a toy Do they at all? even like that? Yeah, like, do, do you, like, when you're having sex with them, do you gen- generally, like, is there a pose that you prefer? Mm-hmm. Like, because these are all informative things to us. If, if your partner prefers, like, missionary, it's, they might like G-spot mm-hmm. stimulation more than if they prefer doggy style or yeah. something like that, depending on how you're positioned. Uh, if they use two fingers on their clit, we can recommend them like a bullet vibrator. If they use their whole palm, they might like a wand. Yeah. Like these are all things that are, are like very specific and informative, mm-hmm. but I think uh, people tend to kind of reduce it down to, oh, well, they like sex. So I'm going to get them a, a vibrator so they can, I don't know. Like, and, yeah. and I think that like, it's such an opportunity to meet someone there because then you can be like, there's a million different kinds of stimulation that a million different people like slightly differently. Yeah. And I think that it addresses the everyone wants to blow their partner's mind, but they don't want to ask them how to do it. And that's such a bummer. And it's like, and people come in and be like, I want something that's just going to like blow her fucking mind. Yeah, like yeah, I, yeah. I want to knock her on her ass. But like, 
like, how do I do that? Which one of these do I get to do that? And so which, which one of these will make it happen so I don't yeah. actually have to do that much work? Yeah, and it's, and it's like, <laughs> and I'll say, like, have you tried asking them? And people are like, that'd probably be a good thing to do. It's the most ubiquitous topic in the world. But it is so, like, this is a perfect example of how, like, toxic masculinity affects us all. Yep. Because there's this connotation that, um, that folks with penises just need to know. Not only folks with penises, everybody just needs to know what to do. Yeah. Everybody needs to know the right way to do it. You need to, like, read the books, know how to tie a cherry stem in your mouth. Like, it, it's, you need to know. You need to be perfect right off the bat. You need to have that moment where they say, what do you do? Oh. Mm -hmm. Like, rather than literally just saying, like, like, like taking someone's hand, putting it on your hand and saying, put it where you want it, mm -hmm. move it the way you like it. Yes. Tell me... What, cause people always say like, oh, when you're eating someone out, like do, do your, your oral ABCs. Mm -hmm. And it's like, in most cases, people are usually like, I really love O, but I really hate S. Yeah. And then another person is like, I love the letter I, uh -huh. I just, I can't just, just do the letter I and I'm gonna have a good time. Yeah. And like, don't do X. Don't do K. Yeah, and, and <laughs> if that's the case, and they like just like vertical motions yeah, yeah, on the clit, and, and you're sitting there doing the whole alphabet, yeah, yeah, yeah. like you're like swiping like at it. What are you doing? Seventy percent of that is not a good sensation. Exactly. But, and, and all you got to do is just say like, "Is there any particular way you like this?" Like, mm -hmm. um, and that's what we're here for. Like, yeah. um, it, like in the store on the kind of uh, associate level is we're like kind of kind of sneaking in in the mm -hmm. in the like uh part part in the condom pun but um the on like the trojan horse of sex toys wah, and sex wah. toy products <laughs> that's such an unfortunate name for a condom it is but like, it is uh, what it is let's let's compare penetrating someone to breaking into their castle and slaughtering all of their people also like, one of my favorite things is we have a trojan professional uh -huh. account with uh, Trojan through our health center uh -huh. but it's funny because I'll sometimes I will sometimes search just Trojan professional mm -hmm. and there's legitimately like a a business called Trojan professional called Trojan professional and it's like PR work I'm like you could have known yeah to name it something else but okay but yeah. uh, 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 like uh, another little note like I think what I uh, what I like about bringing up the toxic masculinity part of it is sure. Like there should be these things that can, you, you need to know these things. Like how don't you know these things? Yeah. Like, we should become in, come ingrained with it. And if you don't like those things, then you're fucking weird. Yeah. Like, if you're, yeah, if you're not, absolutely. if you, if you don't like getting a blow job, what the fuck is your problem? Yeah. Like I, the first couple times I got a bullet job, I it freaked me out. Yeah. Like it made me really it made me really uncomfortable to trust anyone to touch me because like for the longest time I thought I was the only one with a penis. So, mm -hmm. and when I bring I'll ask my friends that sometimes like, "Hey, did, at any point in your life did you ever think you were the only one with a penis?" And it's about 30% them just being like, "Yeah, me too," but most of the time it's like 
no, what the fuck? Why would you ask that? But, like, I had no information. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that it's, like, it's this kind of situation where, uh, and this led to the concept of, like, the vaginal orgasm. Yeah. Um, which was reigned for so long in, like, the, the like, Jungian kind of period of, um, which was essentially just the belief that um, people with vaginas were supposed to orgasm from penetration alone. Mm-hmm. Um, that they were supposed to be satisfied with that, and if you could not reach orgasm um, from internal pleasure, then yeah, there was something wrong with you, and uh, it needs to be treated by non-consensual vibrator treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, that took a very, very long time to get over for folks. Until, like, the rise of folks like Susie Bright, Del Williams, who were, like, leading workshops in their bedrooms of, yeah. like, spreading their legs with, like, 13 other people and being like, all right, now we're going to put the vibrator on our clits and we're going to see yeah. what happens. And I think that it, it just, it took so, so long. Yeah. For people with vaginas to accept, not for people with vaginas, but for everybody to accept that, like, stimulation is going to be unique to every person. And everybody's going to like a different kind of sensation, and therefore you can't just blanket everybody with a single method of pleasure. And um, I I like to say in um, some of my classes on just, like, kind of 101s of anatomy... uh, Expecting a person with a vagina to... Expecting all people with vaginas to orgasm strictly from penetration is like expecting all people with penises to orgasm strictly from prostate stimulation. Mm. Which, for some, totally possible. Yes. And definitely the way that they prefer to orgasm. Yeah. Uh, Or a mix of both. Or Mm -hmm. whatever. Like, But the point is, is that... Many, many folks find it a lot less stressful to just uh, masturbate with their phallus, which <laughs> folks with vaginas have phalluses, and mm-hmm. it's the same bundle of nerves. Homologous organs are the coolest <laughs> shit ever, and we need to acknowledge that they exist and <laughs> just jack off some clits, y'all. <laughs> All right, we're going to take our first break of the podcast so that I can bring you information about the Trevor Project. It is Pride Month. I love Pride Month. It's wonderful. We got to go to Quincy's first ever Pride, and it was so great. The Trevor Project is a wonderful organization that supports uh, queer youth in terms of uh, crisis management and suicide prevention. You can call the Trevor Lifeline at 866-488-7386 to get some support if you if you or someone you know needs help. Or you can go to thetrevorproject.org and you can find out ways that you can volunteer, get involved, uh, uh, help other people, donate, all these other great things. They do a lot of wonderful, wonderful work in the world of supporting queer youth. And if you feel like this is something that you want to help out for, please go to thetrevorproject.org or share the 24-7 number, 1-866-488-7386. I'll put it in the show notes, but please share this uh, with anyone that you think could use it. The Trevor Project is a great organization. Please give them some of your money, some of your time, some of your effort, and support uh, queer folks. Now back to this conversation with Aria. 
tell me what it's tell me what it's like doing this sexual education work as a trans human being because as a sex educator who feels like I know a good amount of stuff, that is definitely one of my gaps. So I'm interested in your perspective and the work that you're doing with it. I think uh, being a trans person in uh, a sex education role, but really in any sexually charged space at all, it's yeah. simultaneously a, uh, a very risky situation, but uh, equally it is a tremendous opportunity. So what I mean by that is um, I'm very vulnerable in that kind of space to being degraded, to being disregarded, and uh, to encountering situations that are really kind of harmful to my own sensibility and my own body and identity. Uh, now, in certain circumstances, it, it's really, it, it's, it's a heavy burden and it's kind of hard to carry and I'll definitely have to take my moments of rest away from that kind of space to just remind myself that I, I don't need to be put on display. I don't need to be the obligated teacher of anyone who asks me, like, what are you? Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, being in this space where we can have these conversations, where someone came in here to talk about their bodies, their sexuality, their gender identity, you can have those conversations that otherwise you're not going to have or otherwise might not be safe to have. Mm -hmm. And I think... Uh, a good example would be uh, what I said earlier with uh, someone will go come into the store and say, uh, I'm looking for men's toys. Mm -hmm. And I will immediately respond with, uh, we have toys for people with penises. And most of the time that translates. Yeah. People get it. Yeah. They move on. It's not too big of an issue. But for others, it, it's, it's a phrase they've never heard before. Mm -hmm. And to someone who's never uh, encountered that kind of language, that kind of rhetoric, uh, it may seem like I'm almost making a joke. Like yeah. I'm, like it's a, like it's almost a, like, oh, a person, like, like a firefighter and referring to them as like a person who fights fires. Yeah. And, and, and people might think like, oh, that's a weird way of saying that. And, yeah. But they're not realizing that those two things, man and person with a penis to me and to anyone working in that space, they're not inherently the same thing. And, well, and we, um, <clears throat> we switched to using that language uh, when I started the job at UMass Boston mm -hmm. and doing sex edu education stuff. And we have this wheel called the Wheel of Sex. And they mm -hmm. spin the wheel and there are trivia questions. And we took out all gendered language. And so there are sometimes when I ask, like, um, what is the average length uh, from beginning to end of sexual intercourse for a person with a penis. Like, I'll ask, like, how long can someone with a penis last during sex? Average. And someone will be like, so you mean, like, how long can a dude last during yeah. sex? I'm like, no, I mean, like, a person with a penis. And they're like, so, like, a dude. And I'm like, a person with a penis. And, like, they, it's hard for some people to, like, wrap their heads around that. And granted, I'm talking to uh, people across the spectrum of age because, like, I'll have some young students and then I'll have some students at UMass Boston that are in their 40s or much older. And so there are people who are way more set in their ways yeah. hearing this. And it's almost like an affront. They're like, what do you mean? <clears throat> and the hard thing about that as a, as a trans person is it goes beyond 
having to hold someone's hand through a conversation. But uh, very quickly after uh, me, a, um, a trans woman who kind of passes sometimes, yeah. depending on what I'm wearing, depending on how I'm speaking, mm-hmm. depending on this, that, or the other. Um, it, it's, it's not always, it, it's, it can be visually evident to some people mm-hmm. that I'm not cis. And now that's a whole another conversation to get into. But yeah. for me, I accept that sometimes I won't pass. Mm-hmm. And in those moments, when you go to take their hand and leave, lead them on the journey, the second you start to have that conversation and they kind of like their gears turn a little bit and they're like, wait, why would a person with a penis be different from a, oh, and then they look at me and go, oh, and, and like you can see it happen right before yeah. your eyes where their brain just goes like, I know what you are. Yep. Um, and, and, and sometimes I will literally have people in front of me say, well, well, don't you mean a guy? Oh, okay. And, yeah. and I just, it's a really kind of demeaning moment because yeah. you know that what just went through their head is an image of your naked body. Yep. And it's a really disturbing thing to deal with on a daily basis okay. of, um, again, like not only having to then walk them through the basic tenets of mm-hmm. sex does not equal gender, genitals do not equal identity, uh, but on top of that, whether or not they listen to you, you've just outed yourself as trans, you have just welcomed someone to make judgments about your genitals, and you have just... Um, generally just reduced someone's concept of you down to your genitalia. Yeah. And that's one of the harmful things. Like if you're ever in a space that's like, um, I would rather not like trans folks who would rather not do pronouns Mm -hmm. because there are certain cues that are just instantly outing Mm -hmm. where someone will say something, something, someone will ask something. And because it's so not normalized, because there's so few spaces that are predominantly cis that will be like, hey, let's do pronouns. Hey, let's say person with a penis instead of men. <laughs> because those spaces are so few and far in between, what the second somebody asks for that, <laughs> they're outing themselves as trans if they are in fact trans. Yeah. And um, it's a really kind of stressful situation, but like I said, there's a positive side to it. There's a great opportunity there. <laughs> because in that moment... Whereas if a non-trans human being would have had that conversation, they might have just been, oh, you're just saying that. Yeah, like, yeah, you're, yeah. You're just, you're being PC. Oh, and I'm 100% sure that that happens to me a lot. Like, yeah. even when I'm trying to explain it in their head, they're like, oh, this guy's full of shit. Or, or like, yeah, I'll, I'll do it for now. Like when I'm yeah. in the room with you. When but then I'm the right second in front of you, I'm going to start misgendering the fuck out of everyone because yeah. I don't actually care about that. Yeah. Until it's someone that I actually care about. And even then, I don't even actually still get it. I'm like, oh my god! <laughs> but when it's in the first person, you're almost, rather than saying like, oh, there's, there's probably a human out there that you will offend by not abiding by this language, yeah. you're saying that person is right in front of you, giving you the time to teach you this. Yeah. And I think that that gives it a sense of immediacy, because um, I remember uh, a while ago, um, one of my old art mentors uh, had a conversation with me about that kind of concept, which is essentially, it's unfortunate, but some people will just never meet a trans person in their life and thus will never ever feel an obligation or really be confronted with an obligation to 
figure out pronouns, to use degendered language, to uh, not assume someone's genitals. And really being in that space, mm -hmm. yeah, it's tokenizing. Mm -hmm. But what I'm doing is proving to people that uh, we trans folks exist. Mm -hmm. um, and that we're not just hyper offended, like going around just like popping out of a bush when someone yeah. says like, like, like refers to a feminine person as dude. We just mm. like spring out of the bush with like little things of leaves in our hands. And we're just like, Hey, <laughs> Hey, well, I think did you just call her dude? Like, no, it's, it's, it's definitely more of a, and I think that people, when they're kind of just listening to their like kind of Facebook feed rhetoric yeah. about trans folks, that might be a very easy impression to get, mm -hmm. um, especially from the internet. But then the second you're in front of someone and they just say like, Hey, I'm actually a chick. Like, yeah. And, and, and they're like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. And I just go, yeah, like, yeah no problem. Just yeah. get it right for the rest of the encounter. That'd be cool. And like, that's just, it. And we just move on. And people it's are like, like a small oh. little request. Yeah. And like all have coworkers, bless my coworkers, um, correct people. Cause one thing that I get a lot is I'll help people for like 45 minutes, like yeah. 30 minutes, find exactly what they're looking for and yeah. give them a lot of info. And then they'll go up to the counter and be, Oh, that gentleman over there helped oh. us out so good. And, and my coworkers will be like, yeah, <laughs> Aria's great. She's a great, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And people yeah. will go like, Oh, yeah. and then just be like, we'll tell her I said, thanks. And they're like, yeah, totally. And I think that it's just this kind of faded encounter mm -hmm. that everyone is, is like terrified to have of, of misgendering a trans person, of oh, saying yeah. something offensive in front of a trans person. But essentially I, I feel like if I want to convey anything mm -hmm. to people in that space, it's that every single one of us is going to hurt someone's feelings. Mm -hmm. Every single one of us is going to make someone feel excluded yeah. or unsafe. Mm -hmm. And what we do with that, mm -hmm. what we do to further our knowledge and thus try harder to not make people feel those things, mm -hmm. uh, that's what matters. Yeah. And I kind of hope that just even working at Good Vibes, those small moments where I just say person with a penis, mm -hmm. something like that, that's going to change someone's outlook of Stage one, mm -hmm. uh, thinking about other people, and then stage two, thinking about themselves. Yeah. And hopefully later down the line, the more people, and, I, and I've seen this happen with a lot of folks who, um, I'm like even friends who I'm very close with today, who started their rhetoric with a very like, uh, oh, like, like, like a very biologically essentialist view of, well, I am a straight man, so of course I like vaginas. Mm -hmm. And then they might move on to thinking, I accept that some women have penises, but I won't, I won't date them. I won't find yeah. them attractive. Yeah. And then moving on to think, well, if some women can have penises and I have a penis, then maybe things aren't as simple as they seem. Mm -hmm. And then, and, and, I'm, and I'm not exactly just trying to turn everybody trans I am. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's more of a, like, I, I just, because everyone can benefit yeah. from kind of letting go of heavily gendered phrasing. Like, oh, for it's, sure. It's not just trans folks. And I think that people have a load lifted off their shoulders mm -hmm. when they don't have to say like, 
yeah, I want a sex toy. I'm a dude. I want a vibrator for my girlfriend. Mm -hmm. And thinking that I know exactly what they're talking about. I think that the second people can like get specific with their bodies, Mm -hmm. with what they enjoy about other people's bodies, with how they interact and what they prefer. Um, that was so depressing. I just hung up on my dad on Father's Day. Oh my I sent him a text, though. It's fine. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, I think that people quickly begin to realize mm-hmm. that um, getting specific with their intimate existence and that, that including not only like their sexual identity and their gender identity, but also how they think about their body Mm -hmm. and how they believe that their body relates to other bodies. Um, I think that everybody feels a little more comfortable when you're not uh, sitting around being like, that's for guys, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and it's kind of interesting and kind of, funny that your your dad just called um because like i feel like families tend to struggle depending on where you come from and who you're around and whatnot like my my uh sister plural um whenever katie's around like refused to use the proper pronoun Mm -hmm. and my sister has explained it to me like oh katie can use that pronoun all they want but or all she wants but we're just not, we don't believe in that, so we're not going to. And so Katie and I keep toying with the idea of just like misgendering them to see how they feel whenever <laughs> we're around them. And like, I think that's kind of like not necessarily the point, but at the same time would prove a point. And like some families and some people are just not, like like you said, some folks will never meet a trans person, but almost fear it every day. Yeah. Like they will and will upset someone. And like with my family, it's more of, they just automatically assume how you present is what you are. And I've definitely brought up to my siblings, like sometimes you literally, like some people who've like transitioned for years, you won't be able to tell. And so it's always so interesting to me. And I'm, I'm curious how families deal with that. Is that something that you're out with with your family? And how Absolutely. did that, how, how did that go for you? Yeah. Um, I think that, in terms of, and I, and I think that's that's uh, just kind of referencing that. I, I do think that it's very true that a lot of people who aren't educated about trans folks, who uh, aren't kind of savvy to any of the language, but also unwilling to learn the language, mm-hmm. uh, are people who will claim they've never ever gone to the bathroom with a trans person that they've never worked with a trans person that they've never sat in line at a Starbucks with a trans person. But believe me, it is incredibly likely that you have and didn't know it. Mm -hmm. And I think even, even myself at work, I will, um, every once in a while use like kind of generalized language Mm -hmm. and people will stop me and they'll be like, actually, no, like, um, like, yeah, I'm a, cis woman but when i say my wife like my wife has a penis actually yeah Um, and i'll be like oh awesome then let's like correct this path and get you something that'll work for you um and uh and even better than that sometimes i will um kind of what someone would consider overcompensate and use as much kind of specific degendered language as i can and i'll find that in fact if I had not used that language, I would have done them an injustice or gotten them something that was not correct for them. Yeah. And people that like 
wander into the store that like someone might look at and be like, oh, well, you're a cis man. And then they are like, yeah, I'm a guy looking for something for my vagina. Hmm. And it's, it's not a matter of like what you think is what you believe in, what you don't believe in. Yeah. If you had not accepted that that person might not be a cis man, if, if you are unable to accept that, you simply would have gotten them the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. You simply would have made a fool of yourself. Mm-hmm. But back on the topic of family, um, my family is, they're all aware that I'm out, mm-hmm. uh, extended family included. And uh, I think early on, uh, and, and I've kind of had a reputation in my family of like being the one that doesn't call home for like three years and then someone happens to be like, hey, Arya, like... I was wondering if you could like do this one thing for me. And then like in that call, they find out that I like graduated school, got a job and living in a new apartment. Like I have a car. I like all these different. And they're just like, Oh, I thought you were like still in high school. And it's just like, so I definitely had the reputation of being a little bit distanced from the family. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But, um, what essentially happened was when I came out, my family just kind of went like, you do your thing, like, Mm -hmm. as you would do anyway. And it was rocky at first, and I definitely, uh, and I took the path of, uh, and and I think uh, a lot of, um, a lot of cis folks will uh, use the term, uh, just be patient Mm -hmm. uh, towards trans folks, when trans folks try to uh, call out misgendering, harmful language, things like that. Whenever we're just like trying to correct someone, they'll say, Mm -hmm. be patient, which is silly because trans people are more patient than anyone. Uh, Like what you think is the first time you've misgendered them in the week, you might not realize that you misgendered them like 13 times within the past hour. And and they sat through every single one of those and then decided on the 14th one. You know, it's been a few times, maybe they'll understand. Hey, could you not call me that? Oh, we'll be patient. And and I think that it's... (laughs) It's definitely... I'm still getting this. Yeah, and it's like, well, I've given you quite a bit of time. Mm-hmm. And, like, if you can adjust to using a smartphone rather than a Motorola Razor, I think you can adjust to my pronouns. Yeah, I feel um, like Katie Katie explains that to me a lot. Like, when they... Like, explaining it to one... Like, to someone that you're definitely going to have, like, continued interactions with. Like, the first time you correct someone and they make a almost an overcorrection like you're saying uh-huh. it can feel still a little bit more dehumanizing sometimes but then once they don't actually make the change and you have to remind them again like one like Katie's like one more time is like enough for me to explain to someone cuz then after it almost does feel malicious yeah <laughs> it's it's see the hard the, the really the biggest core of this <clears throat> of that occurrence is People uh, making people prioritizing their own discomfort over the comfort of the trans person. Oh yeah. So what mm. and what that translates to is essentially, um, I'm I misgender you, mm-hmm. and then you say actually it's not that. Yeah. In a perfect world, I would then look at the person I misgendered and say. I'm so glad that you are confident enough Mm. to correct me when I'm wrong. Because in the end, I I didn't, I'm just wrong. Mm -hmm. There's no further conversation to have. I just got it incorrect. Regardless of whether I did it out of maliciousness, 
out of ignorance or just a slip of the tongue. Yeah. It's incorrect. And there's no, uh, like, it's not like there's levels of severity that get different punishment. It's just yeah. you got it wrong and you're being asked to correct it. And I think that, but what usually happens instead of this kind of welcoming, like, oh, thank you for letting me know. Mm -hmm. It's usually the first priority, the first priority mm -hmm. that gets addressed is I'm uncomfortable that I got something wrong. And that's when people immediately say, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, I'm trying, yeah. like, you need to be patient. I'm a product of my time. Mm -hmm. da, 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 da. Like, and, and it, it is dehumanizing because uh, then the whole room is looking at you exactly. and, and then everybody's silent and everyone's waiting for you to, to um, pat them on the shoulder and say, you're doing your best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it, it shouldn't have to fall onto the shoulders of the trans person to like control the room mm -hmm. after that happens. Mm -hmm. It should be a just, it's the equivalent of like a little kid like smacks their sibling and their sibling goes, ow, that hurt. And they went, no, it didn't. I didn't even hit you that hard. Yeah. It's like, but you don't, you're not in me. You yeah. don't know what I'm feeling. So that's such a silly thing to say. You don't get to gauge people's feelings just based on your perception of what you did to no, that person. No, the, the immediate reaction. And, and we, we teach kids this, but mm -hmm. we don't kind of reflect it into uh, scenarios into our adulthood where your first instinct should be to apologize. Mm-hmm. Instantly, mm -hmm. like your first instinct should not be to defend yourself. It should not be to invalidate the experience of that person. Your instant reaction should just be to apologize uh, and to yeah. move forward. And I have two thoughts on that. Sorry. Two thoughts on that. One, uh, with the Me Too movement happening right mm -hmm. now, a lot of times when folks are like immediately responding, they are doing what you just said they're yeah. defending first absolutely they immediately are like oh i am this is something i would never do blah 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 then buried in like one sentence might be i i'm sorry for how this how this person feels or how they I'm perceive sorry that you feel that way yeah i'm sorry that you feel like I, I did this thing but you're wrong and fuck you and and that's the subtext behind that kind of apology exactly which is i'm sorry you feel this way mm -hmm. is is a really, really sly way of saying you're wrong mm -hmm. and I pity you for yeah. it. Yeah. And like a lot of times when I talk to people and I just had this talk last weekend uh, when I was in Oregon, one of the things that I talk to folks about when they're – because like I'll have guys be like, can I even like look at a girl anymore or talk to some – like if someone were to come to you and say that you hurt them in a certain way, your, immediately, your immediate response should be, oh my gosh, like I'm sorry that this happened. I'm sorry for what I did and is there any way – that you would like to talk about this? Can we uh, process this together? Or do you need space? What do you need right now? Instead of just being like, oh, what are you talking about? Like that was nothing. All right, we're gonna bring you some tunes from the new Cosmic Johnny album called Good Grief. You can go to cosmicjohnny.bandcamp.com and get yourself a free download or name your own price. Throw them some funds. Throw them like 10 bucks, whatever. Downloading an album from them for free. Or you can just send them some money too. Support queer artists. They're great. They're from this Boston area. We tabled one of their gigs a couple months ago. They're fantastic human beings. And I think this album is super fun, super bright, perfect for the sun, or for the sun and then the summer. 
and I hope you like it. You've already heard some of the tunes throughout the episode, uh, but one of my favorite comments is on their Bandcamp, and it is from a person named Red Foreman, which I hope is a reference to that 70s show, but their comment is, Every single song makes you feel like you matter and your emotions are completely valid. Every single song fucks so goddamn hard, too. Cosmic Johnny is my favorite band and they're going to be iconic. I love that so much. It is perfect for this album and is perfect for the people in this band. They are wonderful human beings. And now I'm going to play you the song Hell is a Basement by Cosmic Johnny off the new album Good Grief.
think it comes full circle back to what I was saying um, earlier with you're just going to hurt people sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, You are not in the minds of every person around you. There's nothing you can do to stop that. Mm -hmm. And again, accepting responsibility for when you do that is all you can do. Mm -hmm. And I think that when someone like comes up to you or me and asks like, well, can I even look at a chick without (laughs) having somebody like call me out for whatever like complimenting them complimenting them it's a compliment the subtext of that is not can i physically do that the subtext is can i do that without ever ever being perceived as bad Mm -hmm. can i do that without ever being questioned and i think there's no doubt that there's a big kind of movement right now with like trump and the all right and stuff like that with uh essentially equating Uh, freedom of speech with freedom to say whatever you want and avoid all repercussions. Mm -hmm. And you get these people who are like, they'll, uh, the vice thing that Mm -hmm. Katie was on and people saying it's a free country. It's freedom of speech. I should be able to say whatever I want. And the truth of that is you can. Mm -hmm. And in fact, you are, Mm -hmm. and you will, and you are making money off of it. In fact, in the case of comedians, no one is physically jumping on the stage and pulling you off when you say that. No, but people are definitely exercising their own freedom of speech to tell you that that was a dumb joke and it hurt their feelings. Yep. And you'll, you'll feel it when we don't come to your shows or no one books you because you said something fucking stupid. And now like there is, there is like a huge, there is a trend in comedians that go to colleges. And I mean, having seen many of them and having been to Leslie a bunch of times for, for comedians, uh, a lot of comedians get that there is a specific crowd right now at college shows. And a lot of the students, they're fucking smart. They're not gonna like take some of this bullshit standup that used to pass. Like students now are, they're, I think, more resilient than ever. They're just not going to put up with your shit if you're a terrible... Like, honestly, you're a terrible comedian if you have to succeed with those types of jokes. Like, if you have to go on stage offending people purposefully. And it is amazing to me how much pushback, especially that video that Katie got. Katie got threats yeah, in, in their messages. Like, are you really that insecure about your work or even the work of others to complain on the internet that these college students are making you feel sad. Who are the real, like, I hate to use the word snowflakes. Who really are they? And it's it's like, and I think that um, any comedian understands that in, in this year, 2018, if they were to make a joke about uh, playing on video games on their Commodore 64, Mm -hmm. the joke probably wouldn't go down that great. It would probably not be super funny because it's representing an experience and a thought process that simply is not relevant Mm -hmm. to kids in college right now. They understand that. And they Mm -hmm. understand that if they tell a bunch of jokes about that and that's their whole set Mm -hmm. is just being like, oh yeah, my like hand crank windows on my car, like... My fucking... My like, rotary phone. My rotary phone. Like, and like, yeah, kids might Yoo-hoo understand... cola <laughs> <laughs> Like... 
people might understand what you're talking about, yeah. but it's not relevant and funny. So yeah. you do a whole set of that, and then the college doesn't invite you back, and the comedian and everybody's just like, "Yeah, well, that comedian's not funny. They're not getting with the times." But <laughs> riding on this wave of like offending people rather mm-hmm. than just telling jokes that aren't relevant mm-hmm. anymore. Like using the uh, like, oh, I'm, I've offended you mm-hmm. wave is just a way of saying it's not because I'm not funny. Yeah. Oh, but, yeah. But in the end, how is it anything other than that? Mm-hmm. Like in the in the video, mm-hmm. um, in the Vice video, there was a moment where um, uh, like uh, Judy Gold mm-hmm. was up in front of people being like, oh, I'm a part of the LGP uh, whatever. Uh, this and is like, a bunch of and there's like there's intersex people now like what what and they're like intersectional and like any kid in the crowd is like a intersex and intersectional are two completely different things so that's just like <laughs> saying like oh i love mashed potatoes like when you put a lot in your mouth it's called smash mouth like yeah you're nope. just finding words that sound like the yeah, other word. That's, that's not how words work. That's not a joke. <laughs> nope. But then on top of it, it's like... The hackiest joke. Yeah, and, and it's getting <laughs> to the point like, yeah, that would be funny in the age where like intersexuality was like just discovered. Yeah. But for us, like all of us probably know like five intersex people. Yeah. So somebody saying there are intersex people in existence. Mm-hmm. That's not really we're a like, joke. It's we're more like, of a fact. Like what one person in the crowd is probably like, yeah, that's me. Or like, yeah, that's my that's my buddy. Like yeah. where like are you gonna finish the joke? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Cause like if you look at the work of comedians like Chris Fleming and shit, mm-hmm. like they can take identities that fall under that umbrella mm-hmm. and make jokes about them yeah. without being the person who's just like, Can you believe yeah. that there are intersex yeah. people? Like Chris Fleming's video of like, um, just cause I have bad hair, doesn't mean I'm polyamorous. <laughs> like that is the funniest shit ever. Because they're like two things that you don't look at as like connected, but no, like noting the absurdity of it is the funny part. Yeah, like, come like, on. And it's, it's just, it's funny. Cause it's like, it's taking like a random character trait that uh-huh. isn't necessarily like bad or hurtful it's uh-huh. just like oh you've got bad hair like and like <laughs> observing all these like weird kind of like polytropes because even if yeah. that's not you like you've met someone who's kind of like that yeah and but again like what's like they're making fun of like board game couples yeah and it's like there's nothing wrong with that but no. you can observe that in your date anyway like it's kind of getting on a tangent but um but i think you're on, you're you're really onto something because there there are a lot of a lot of folk, and it even goes back to what we were talking about with um, like kind of outrage culture when you're you're gonna offend somebody at some point, and there are a lot of times when folks are afraid to like say whatever comes to their brain or uh, for fear of offending someone, where at the same time, it, it, it folks don't realize like how willing especially queer folks are at like joking with each other yeah like we're like clearly you've never been in a queer space uh-uh. because we make fun of ourselves more so, than you make fun so of much us. like around katie and i like one of the one of the things that like i do a lot whenever katie like says something kind of strange i'm like oh whatever queer and then yeah. like because like i was called that so much growing up and it was such a put down and but like katie will be like yup 
That's what we are. Yeah. <laughs> and we're like, we, and I go, oh yeah, that's great. I have a, I have a coworker who, um, uh, I have a coworker who's trans and we'll, uh, we'll joke around where we, on the, at the beginning of the day, we have a little task sheet and we assign tasks in like Sharpie, mm-hmm. uh, for each person to do. And, um, he'll come into work, uh, or I'll come into work on a day that he had opened and done the task sheet and I'll come up to it and I'll be like, you wrote my name in blue Sharpie, this is transmisogyny. <laughs> and he'll be like, no, but I put you on like dusting uh-huh. for your delicate feminine sensibility. And I'm like, and it's just, it's hilarious. <laughs> and it's great because, because it's our experience yeah. and we're sharing in that yeah. together. And, and when like, so that's why when comedians are saying like, well, that's my experience. You can't, you can't put me down for talking about my experience. There's a respectful way to do it. Yeah. In, in a way that's like, kind of gauging people's like, is it okay if I kind of like get into that subject? And it's like, yeah, it's like, okay, then I'm going to come in every day and be like, hi homos. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's, and I think that it's, um, I don't know. It, it all comes back to what I think. What I think the biggest kind of disconnect is, is that people tend to have this image in their mind of what a uh, quote unquote, like for folks who abuse the term, like triggered person looks like. Uh, And I think that people imagine this. And if you like even, even dip your toe into the waters of like gamer culture, Mm kind of like Twitch TV kind of stuff. It's, it's this concept of like a, um, like a, like a wealthy white woman, like just, just looking like she's about to explode when someone like, again, like I said earlier, like calls her dude or something mm-hmm. like that. And, and like, she's like, she's, she's a ticking time bomb just waiting for someone to say something so she can explode. Yeah. And I think that really if, if anyone's af- actually been in that kind of scenario, it's never someone who's like about to burst the second you say it's it's people that are just like you say something fucked up and they just go, <sighs> yeah, like I thought you were gonna be cool, yep. but apparently you're not. Like, we're not gonna blow off the handle. Like some, there are cir- like circumstances. Like yesterday, we were at Buffalo Wild Wings. We we're watching the game there. Like not many people in the restaurant. There are these like four what I perceived as bros just sitting at the bar. And Katie like walked back from the restroom and heard one of them say like call the other one a faggot or something like that. And um, Katie's like, ugh, I forget that there are people who say those words. Yeah. And and that's literally all the reaction was, ugh. Yeah. And like I go, oh, these guys? I'm like, ugh, it's not worth it right now. Like a lot of the times we don't want to even put in the effort because it's not worth our emotional it, energy. It, yeah, and it's like it's that kind of – yeah, you want to stick up for yourself, but we don't want to sit there and have a conversation with you just as much as you don't want to have a conversation with yeah, us. Yeah, and like, I'm trying to watch baseball. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think that I, uh, more often than not, and the thing is, is that when I am in the store and someone mm-hmm. says like, thank you, sir, and I go like, actually, it's miss. And they're the ones that are immediately like like locking up and being yeah. like, <gasps> like and, and for me, I'm like, don't do that. Just relax. It's, yeah, okay. it's okay. Like, just just move on, please. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just, I'm just begging them to just be like, all right, bye. Yeah. Like, I, I'm, I'm begging the encounter to be yeah. over. Yeah. You don't even have to say miss mm-hmm. in response. You can yeah. just say, acknowledge that I said that. Yeah. Acknowledge you were wrong, even with a just like, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Like a solid mm-hmm. Yep. And I just... I don't know. I, I always want to kind of stick up for myself. Yeah. And again, like 
circling back to the conversation of like, what's it like being a trans person in this kind of space? It's just, it's a lot gauging whether someone is going to instantly lock up and shut down or continue to push and tell me that I don't know that what I'm talking about, that I'm wrong, Mm -hmm. that I'm like two PC, all this kinds of stuff, which is absurd to think about when someone comes into a place like good vibrations and like is using words like any sex shop or anything that's like full of sexual stuff. But I think people inherently have this concept that like sex shops are generally supposed to be very gendered places where it's like you have your wall of there's a men's section and a women's section and there's lubes for men lubes for women there's There's condoms condoms that are for for men's pleasure condoms for her pleasure and it's and it's kind of this situation where yeah i understand where people are coming from and i just hope that when i correct them they just go like oh all right cool yeah and move about their life like i can't make you bring this language into the rest of your life. Yeah, no. I, I just don't want And I'm this, not going to be there every day. <laughs> I just don't want this to be awkward between us. Yeah. I don't want, like, one of my coworkers to refer to me as she and you have to deal with the embarrassment of having misgendered me, like, 13 times. I'm going to yeah. stop you on, like, number two mm-hmm. and just, like, get that out of the way and mm-hmm. let you go back about your experience. Oh, yeah. I'm trying to save you the embarrassment. Yeah. I am not, like... I, I don't know. It's just... It's the kind of thing where people, again, just have this concept of like, oh, you can't talk to anyone without them like freaking out. Like I can't talk, I can't even look at a girl. And it's like, no, just don't be weird about it. Yeah. That's literally all you have to do. Just like, don't be weird. Well, and Katie and I, like we, we've like, I like wrote a thing about this last year. Like Katie and I are like super aware that we, we appear to pass in a hetero relationship because of how we present. And like, neither of us are straight. And, it's one of those things where I'll, I'll, I always have always referred to Katie as my partner because I prefer that. I, I hate the terms like boyfriend and girlfriend. They're always weird to me. Even like husband and wife are weird to me. But like I've always used partner. And so sometimes when I'm talking to someone and I say, oh, yeah, my partner works over at Leslie. Their initial reaction, there are two reactions. One reaction would be like, oh, what does he do? Because the immediate use of partner is I'm dating a guy because partner is like very connected to same sex. Or you're, you're trying to hide that you're gay. Yeah, basically. Like yeah. And then the other one is like kind of stumbling on that, not knowing what to do with it. And I go, oh, yeah, my partner, Katie. Like, because then when they hear like a, a name that they're used to being associated with a woman, they'll be like, Oh, okay, good. I'm, yeah. He just uses a different word, which is weird to me. And then I'll say, they. And like, oh, what does she do? And I'm like, they uh, do orientation and student activities. Oh, that's good for her. And I'm like, yeah, they. Like, I'm doing it, like, as subtle as possible. But with people that I'm, like, really close with, um, they're, they're friends that I've met with, I've met and are about to introduce to Katie. Like, I'll give them a hug and I'll be like, hey, uh, Katie uses they, them pronouns. Or like, I'll say that in their ear. I go, they also don't hug. So before you do anything, like, I, I like to embrace my friends, mm-hmm. and we will embrace. I will literally say all these things in their ear before I let go of them. Yeah. And so that the first thing they do when they see Katie, they'll be like, oh, hi, I'm whomever. And they'll reach an arm mm-hmm. out. And Katie will be like, oh, thanks. And they'll continue to use the proper pronouns. And mm-hmm. so it's a sort of thing where I like – I. In knowing how much it affects Katie, I like to prepare people. Yeah. And 
the people in my life, the uh, some of my siblings, are good with it, are good mm-hmm. about it, and but they're not always going to be those types of people. So. Just going to take a quick break here for a second just to give y'all an update on In Between Spins. Jacqueline and I had a conversation this week and we're putting it on hold for a little while. Our lives are a little bit busy. Uh, Jacqueline has a lot going on. I have a lot going on and I'm going to start using the last week of each month as a little bit of a break from the podcast so that I can make sure I'm bringing you good, timely conversations and not getting completely burned out on it. I've had so much fun making the podcast over the last year and I've found that, you know, I might need a week off here and there. So that's what we're going to be doing now. Uh, In between spins, we'll probably come back at a later date, a couple months later. I don't know, whenever we have some time to make another episode. But for now... Next week, we will not have an episode. That's just basically why I'm giving you this little break. Use it to catch up if you've just come to the podcast. Catch up on some of our old episodes. Maybe if you like this conversation, you can go listen to the conversation with Cameron Winters. Uh, Or you can listen to our conversation with uh, Lauren Cashin. Or you can listen to our conversation with Amanda Myers. A bunch of conversations that are very related to this conversation. Go back. Give them a listen. Because we won't be here next week. But we'll be back at the beginning of July with a wonderful conversation. All right, let's finish this talk with Aria Carpenter. Let's wrap this up with the lightning round. I'm just going to ask you, like, some things you like. Okay, go for it. Some things you like in life. Some things I like. Uh, Is it sex? I like sex. (laughs) (laughs) What's your favorite color? Favorite color is red. Red, nice. Uh, what about favorite food? Favorite food is the Crunchwrap Supreme from Taco Bell. There you go. You had one when you came over to our place. Oh yeah, a couple months. Oh ago. yeah, I, I, I have one whenever I'm physically able to have one. Uh, have you seen the Good Mythical Morning video when they made a two hundred fifty dollar Crunchwrap Supreme? Dear, <laughs> it's the well. It's like I, it as a like if you used all of the best ingredients that uh-huh. you could to make a Crunchwrap Supreme. It looked amazing. I would probably taste no difference. And that's just the reality (laughs) of what I am. (laughs) That's wonderful. I I would rather have like 4,000 Crunchwrap Supremes than one really good one. Yeah. (laughs) I'd rather just suffer. What is your favorite movie? My favorite movie... uh, Oh my god. It's probably... Either my current bra- or all time. My my brain is immediately going to The Thing by John Carpenter. Mm, okay. Uh, 1982. Mm-hmm. Uh, I may be the only one in the world that thinks that The Thing is 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 very attractive. I'd go out mm, on a date hey. with, a, with that, you know, giant flesh monster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know. What about TV shows? Do you like TV? Um... Don't watch TV quite as often. What about anime? Oh dear. There we go. Oh, you've opened it. I knew oh, it was gonna geez. happen. Uh, I knew if it was gonna go one way or the other. My brain. You, you were like, "Do you like TV shows?" And my brain just goes, "Aria, anime doesn't count." No, um, because I'm the same. Like I've kind of, yeah. I've drifted away from TV. I like people are like, "Are hey, you watching this season of this?" And I'm like, "Is it anime?" Mm-hmm. Then probably not. Then probably probably <laughs> not. Um, because there's so much anime out there, and I'm never going to get to watch it all. And honestly, that's the one of the biggest bummers. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things where you're like, you're like in a meeting, and your brain is just like wandering, and you think of that, and then you just start crying. Yeah. And like one of your friends is like, are, are, are you, you crying? Are you okay? What happened? And you're just like, oh, I just realized I can't watch all the anime ever. 
<laughs> it's kind of like when I, I think, like, honestly, one of the saddest things I think about is when I die, mm-hmm. I'm not going to get to experience the music that happens after I die. Yeah. And yeah. that's honestly a huge bummer that yeah. I'm thinking about right yeah. now. Sorry, give it's me gonna, your anime. It's going to be okay. Um, <laughs> I mean... Not not to get too into it, uh, but I, I I cry when the Gurren Lagann theme song comes oh. on. I, I cry. Kill it's I Kill so, too. That, oh, that whole yeah. studio is just doing a lot of good. Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah. One um, of the worst, most bummer kill-offs in Gurren Lagann. It's rough. Uh, yeah. I, um... I haven't actually got to watch Kill I Kill yet. Kill I Kill is is. is I need like... to get a good dub. I have to watch dubs. I'm sorry. Mm, that's I, okay. Well, I'm I'm always told that like I'm not a real anime person, but like I have that's really bad more. ADHD, so like fine. I have to have, I have to be able to listen to it as well. Yeah. No, that's fair. I um. I'm personally like do whatever you want to do. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Seems in your character. And stuff. Yeah. <laughs> do do whatever whomever you want to do. Just like ask them first. Yeah, that's, that's the plan. Uh, unless like you're sitting in front of your laptop trying to ask Kill a Kill if you can watch <laughs> it, because um, that's not a thing. Yeah, I mean that you yeah, can easily yes. do. Do you have a Ghibli film you prefer? Ghibli film is is definitely Nausicaa. Now let okay. me tell you about okay. how, how that's an interesting choice. How Princess Nausicaa is a trans feminine icon. Oh fuck! So some people might say. Come on, Arya. Uh-huh. Nausicaa's not trans. And uh-huh. I say, whoever I want to be trans is trans. <laughs> you owe me this. You owe me this. Oh, my God. <laughs> Just as much as you can't go up to strangers on the street and try to ask them about their genitals, uh-huh. you cannot ask Nausicaa about her genitals. <laughs> if you're going to assume that everyone else in the world is cis, I'm going to assume that Princess Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind uh, is yes, trans. She's so awesome. awesome. I love her. Um, I love the whole story. It's really beautiful. The music, the art of it. I remember I, I had one of the original books yeah. of it when I was young, mm-hmm. and I just I idolized that character so much. It was mm-hmm. one of the first characters I ever saw who was um, like... A, a girl being presented in a very kind of like physically formidable kind of active kind of like getting down in the dirt and like playing with little animals kind of yeah. character. And, and that really inspired me. I think that uh, my two feminine, my, like what I based my femininity on as a kid uh, without even knowing it was really um, uh, Nausicaa and... Oh, and, and I guess I, I totally forgot this film, but this is my real favorite oh, movie, sure. is, is Ripley from Alien. Oh, hey! <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely um, base a lot of my kind of concepts of that on uh, Sigourney Weaver's character. But, um, <laughs> yeah, if we're, if we're talking about giant, uh, probably attractive monsters in horror movies, I think... I think the xenomorphs really beat everything. <laughs> Jeez. That's fantastic. Oh, man. Uh, what about uh, band music? Band music? Band or music. I'm a fan of band Al- music. Al- albums. What kind of stuff do you listen to? Um, so I, I know that like every random person with a SoundCloud likes to say that they listen to a little bit of everything. But I have been working my whole life to foster a really kind of diverse library of music. Yeah, again, we're the same in that. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd say that my roots are, are, in, are in metal. Mm-hmm. I'm, I love Meshuggah. Yes. Uh, I'm a big fan of Meshuggah. I, like, 
kind of and from that it kind of branches off in the into the directions of like yeah prog metal power metal like death they metal, have a bit of everything like gent hardcore like like i've got a toe in every single puddle and i think that um like metal was kind of where i started like yeah. listening to like iron maiden judas priest kind of stuff my yeah. little 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 girl self with my long <laughs> brown hair um and my and my trip pants uh yeah. <laughs> But um, I love a lot of um, folk music. Yeah. Listen to a lot of that. Um, a lot of a lot of good queer music. A lot of rap. I love rap. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of specific artists, but um, I think generally it's just I can find something to love in like just just about every genre. Cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. I dig that. Mm-hmm. Before we close, mm-hmm. um, so this is a podcast for educators. Mm-hmm. That's the mostly the the um, the population that listens. <clears throat> if you had just a nugget of advice for folks, for educators, people in higher education who have trans students, what advice would you give them in working with students and understanding and hearing them out? What would you say? Uh, I would say, listen. Listen to them as much as you can and pay attention to their perspective as much as you can, but don't force them to be your educator. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, you are an educator. This is what you do for a living. And like with any other topic you're trying to teach people um, about, research it. The, the resources are out there. Uh, and I think that the best thing that you can do is just get as, as informed as you can um, Google's free. Mm-hmm. I think these are all kind of things that you can learn before going into a scenario. But as I've been saying, be prepared to hurt people. Be afraid, like, or not be afraid. Uh, be, be prepared to overstep some boundaries mm-hmm. and make people uncomfortable and be ready to take responsibility for it. Mm-hmm. Um, you, are, you are going to be instrumental in each trans person's experience, whether they've been out for three minutes, three days, three months, three years, 30 years, you are instrumental to how they feel about themselves, to how they feel about them navigating a space around you. Um, And I think that you can definitely choose to learn this information before you meet a trans person. Even if you have no trans people in your class, start asking people to do their pronouns. Even if you know everyone in the class is cis, Mm -hmm. tell them why. Tell them you need to normalize this. Tell Mm -hmm. them that you need to be gendering people correctly even when they're not in the room. That you need to be fostering these ideals not just when there's a trans person in the classroom because that just it lends itself to making people feel like they're a special case like they're a like a like a like an obstacle in the classroom you need to make them feel like their presence is providing something rather than serving as a detriment to the learning environment like we were talking about perspective is everything in education and we can't just keep plugging and chugging about the same topics every single day we need to let each encounter inform how we think about what we're teaching Mm -hmm. we need to be open to being educated but at the same time not forcing the people who live this every day to be our teachers Mm -hmm. we need to listen to their experiences we need to pay attention to them when they're ready to talk to us Mm -hmm. and when they say Go Google it. Mm-hmm. Do it. Yeah, listen. This isn't about you. This isn't about you 
and how you feel after offending somebody. This isn't how you feel um, when someone tells you that you're not being inclusive enough. This is about making that space. This is about being the person that um, uh, your students leave the classroom and, and when all the queer and trans students get together and be like, oh, I've got this teacher. Like, are they all right? Yeah. And, and you, you be the teacher that your students say, oh, yeah, like that teacher on the first day had everybody say their pronouns out loud. They, they like corrected a student when they misgendered me. Uh, they passed around an attendance sheet rather than calling out names. Like th- it's little things, yeah. little things that you can do to make everyone feel safer and all you've got to do is just reach out and look for it all you've got to do is just listen rather than talking rather than telling people to be patient you be patient you need to be the patient one and just like i'm going to i'm going to look forward to learning something new every single time i teach a class every single time i uh work with an employee or, or a customer rather um Every single one, it, it sounds cheesy, but it's an opportunity to learn. And you really need to just never let yourself believe that you know more than the student, no matter what. Yeah. Never let yourself believe that. You are both working together on something. And that's the beauty of education, is it's a collaborative effort. And you mm-hmm. can't close yourself off. You can't say that you're the master and they're the student. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much. Absolutely. I really appreciate it. That's it. We did it. Another episode done. I'm so happy. This was such a great informational conversation with Aria. I learned so much about sex education and I'm a sex educator. So it's just nice to continue learning with more people that I get to chat with. So fantastic. If you didn't pick it up, Ari is one of Katie's former students at Leslie University and is one of the most outspoken trans activists you can find in the Boston area. I'm going to link up and up. Uh, I'm going to add a link to the show notes so that you can find an article that uh, Aria contributed to in the Boston Globe at the beginning of the school year. And that'll be a really cool way for you to also contextualize some of the work that Aria did while at Leslie. So I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. And I hope you also enjoyed the Cosmic Johnny tunes. Go to CosmicJohnny.BandCamp.com or find them on any uh, streaming sites and you can get their new album, Good Grief, which is so friggin' good. You've been hearing it throughout this episode. You can get the whole album. It's great. Please listen to it. Listen to more of it. It's fun. It's good for the summer. It makes you feel good to support queer artists. That's what you got to do. Queer punks are the best. In my opinion, queer punks are the best. I think they're great. I think we're great. I think you're great for listening to this podcast. So, yeah, that's really all I got. Um... Like, review, subscribe, tell people about the podcast, EduPunks Pod on in social media. Yeah, that's where you'll find us. And yeah, I'm just going to finish out this episode with more tunes from Cosmic Johnny. Finish out the song to get out of bed and never starve, which is a great song title. Until, ne- until uh, next time, How can it let's be get to work. So How can it be so hard? How can it be so hard to get out of bed and never start? How can it be so hard?